listening to The Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM, where health and performance collide with your host, Jim Laird. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IO FM. It's a Saturday morning. I uh, had a early morning float session, so I'm in here just before the, uh, the day gets going. And um, I had an interesting question from Jeremy that was emailed to me, and he asked what I would do differently in my powerlifting um, endeavors. Um, so I thought I'd jump on here really quick and, and uh, go through that, but I thought I'd kind of spin it a little bit and kind of look back at my athletic career and um, let me talk about a little bit how I do everything different. And obviously, you know, I'm you know woulda, coulda, shoulda, all that kind of stuff. Um, but knowing what I know now, um, what how would I approach things differently as a as a young Jim Laird? And you know, I remember you know where I am today in my career is because of the path I took, which I really love what I do. So you know, keeping that in perspective. But um, I remember having this discussion with my high school wrestling coach. um, And he sat me down and and said, hey, you know, I know you really love football and I know you really want to play football in the States, but he's like, do you realize you're going from competing with a couple hundred people in the world to competing with hundreds of thousands of people? And I played played fullback. I was a blocking, blocking fullback. You know, caught the ball out of the backfield, lead blocker type deal, and he's like, for a position that really is dying. And um, you know, looking back now, he was he was right. You know, I was basically um, doing, uh, you know, putting myself up against more competition with a non-ideal body type. You know, at five nine and really short arms and really short legs and a tall torso. Um, even though I had some success. It wasn't optimal. It wasn't the number one choice for me. It was funny. Quinn was was talking about uh, looking at, at we we were chatting about my squatting style and my my body type, and he was like, you know, you'd have been a pretty good Olympic lifter. You know, I'd have to have a really narrow grip on the snatch, but he was like, with your narrow squat stance and your and your um, you know tall torso and short arms, you know, I would have done done fairly well. So I think that's a big mistake parents make is they put their kid in one sport and then their body type ends up being non-ideal for the sport instead of steering them in a different direction or having them play multiple sports so they can kind of figure out what works best for them. So, you know, wrestling probably would have been a better, a better option for me. I could have gone a lot further in wrestling than I, than I, than I could have, um, in football just based on body type alone. But that being said, if, if I would have continued um, and, and done the same path that, you know, I would have approached things a little differently instead of, you know, going from being from Canada, especially before the internet was really big. Um, you know, uh, I, w- I went to a junior college in California, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then I transferred to, to Liberty university, but looking back, I would have picked a, a school that, that, that basically ran the kind of system that, that I would have fit into, I would have picked a school and then went there and walked on and worked my way into the into the program. And then if you end up being a special teams player or whatever, that's just the way it is. But I would have approached my football training a lot differently. Like in high school, I fell in love with lifting heavy weights. Like I really, really loved 
of the weight room. And, and, you know, so when I went to college, you know, I was squatting, you know, close to 600 pounds. I was benching well over 400. I was, was hang cleaning 400 pounds, you know, so strength wasn't really something I needed to work on, even though I pushed strength and even, you know, we were doing some, uh, the, the strength program that I'm in was in at the time. Uh, they really pushed strength as well. They, they thought that that was the ultimate. And looking back now, I was plenty strong enough and I was big enough. I was like 240 pounds and, and you know, had some decent lifts. I should have focused more on throwing med balls explosively, um, doing more agility work, playing tennis, you know, things like that to develop better overall athleticism. Uh, you can be super strong, but if you don't move well, um, not that I didn't, not that I was a terrible mover, but I could have improved on that if I'd have worked on it more. Uh, I should have, I played, I would play tennis for fun and stuff, uh, you know, in the off season, but, uh, I should have done more of that type of thing and run more hills and done a lot more of that kind of stuff instead of trying to push something that always, that really didn't need to be improved any more than it was. You know, now that I work with, I work with athletes, I'm like, oh, you're, you're strong enough for what you need to do. You know, there's no need for you to you know, whether it's jujitsu athletes or wrestlers or, you know, there, there comes a point where, you know, people will argue with you with this. They'll say, well, you know, the stronger you are, the better it is. Strength is never a weakness. But there comes a point where the risk of getting stronger and the wear and tear on the body, um, there's better ways to develop, especially, you know, explosive power. There's better ways to develop it than just loading more weight on the bar because there is a, a, a price for that. And lifting lighter weights more explosively would have been um, – a better option as well as, as opposed to just trying to load the bar up and, and this would kind of carry over into my powerlifting endeavors. So that's kind of a, a perspective on, uh, you know, I would have went out to a bigger, to a big school, like a D one school somewhere and I would have walked on and, and that way got into a program as opposed to kind of going to a JUCO and using, losing a year and then going to a one double a AA school, um, that said they wanted to run a two back set, but never really did, you know? So, Oh, well, but, you know, I got to meet, uh, got to work in the weight room there, and then I went to Arizona and met Jim Windler. So, you know, it all kind of worked out uh, in the end. But I think things would have been a little different if I'd have focused my training a little more on what I needed as opposed to me pushing my strengths a little too too much. Um, So, or even taking a completely different path and and sticking with with wrestling. Uh, Could have stayed at home in Canada and wrestled. you know, there's all sorts of options there, Pan Am games and all sorts of other things. Because I was a I was a fairly decent wrestler. And then of course you get real wild and then you you know talk about like like Quinn and I have talked about Olympic lifting, you know, you never know. But that's something you you need to start early on and there's just not there's just not a lot of Olympic lifting, uh, you know, there's not a lot of people that pull you aside and go, Hey, you know, in this country at least or in the United States and Canada pull you aside and go, Wow, you're you're built for Olympic lifting. We need to start you off because you need to start doing that stuff, dabbling in it and getting the motions down at a fairly early age to be competitive in that stuff, as well as have a good base of, of gymnastics and, and all that sort of thing. Um, as far as my powerlifting career, <clears throat> you know, I was already fairly strong when I um, started competing in powerlifting, and Jim Windler was the one that got me to start competing in powerlifting. And kind of, and, and the time I started competing in powerlifting, geared powerlifting was like the thing, like double ply squat suits and pen shirts and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's fine. Um, but looking back now with my body structure, uh, I'm a narrower squatter and, uh, I would have done much better raw 
and I kind of regret not competing raw. Um, yeah, I tried to squat west side style, uh, super wide, and it, it just didn't work for me. And uh, I could have I could have had a lot better squat raw, I think. Um, and, I'll, and I'll get into that. You know, I, I kind of caught that west side bug of chasing max effort numbers. Um, I didn't spend enough time doing the actual competition lifts and honing my technique in. So when I'd get into competition and I'd get over like 900 pounds, um, you know, which you get over 900 close to a thousand, that's what sets you apart from being just like a good power lifter to like a great power lifter is getting those, you know, like 900 plus squat. You know, when I'd get to those, um, my technique just wasn't good enough. You know, I hadn't spent enough time under submaximal weights. So Looking back, um, I would have spent more time lifting submaximal weights. We do what we call max effort work, where you'd work up to try and beat a PR every week. So I didn't spend enough time in that like sweet, like seventy-five to eighty-five percent uh, doing reps um, to hone technique. So I would have done more sport-specific training as far as powerlifting is concerned, um, and focused more on technical stuff. I mean, heck, Chuck Logafool taught me, pulled me aside one day and taught me how to pull properly, and I put almost, you know, 200 pounds on my pull in less than six months just by learning how to pull properly. So technique is so, so important. Um, you know, I could squat, you know, 800 pounds for a triple with a belt on with a safety squat bar, but I'd get under 900 pounds uh, with, with equipment on in that, and my form wasn't good enough, and, you know, my, my squat stance was way too wide for my structure. So, and then you get into the bench shirts and it, it just took a lot of the fun out of it because, you know, you, by the time you warmed up and put the suits on and all that kind of stuff and the bench shirt on, it just took so long to do your work. And then that hard arch with, you know, on the bench shirt, having to get it to touch my back would hurt more from benching than it would from deadlifting or squatting. So, uh, looking back more sub sub maximal work, you know, obviously I was going to compete raw. I would have needed to develop that bottom end strength. So there would have been a lot more pause squats and, and things like that. Um, it would have simplified my, my programming a lot. I would have used the accessory bars instead of doing these max effort deals. I would have focused on using the accessory bars for repetition work to build, to build strength and then use the main lifts like the regular squat, um, to build technique and to really, really hone that technique and closer to the meets cutting all, you know, way back on the accessory stuff and really focusing mainly on, um, perfecting, uh, you know, go from general to specific and then back to general and back to specific. So that's, um, that's a huge part of, of what I would have done, uh, differently. And then the whole aspect of self-care, um, you know, I was, when I was competing in powerlifting, I was working 12 to 14 hours a day, um, training tons of people working with, with high schools, um, not sleeping, you know, pushing the candle, burning the candle at both ends, using stimulants to push through. And, you know, I was fairly successful, but I think if I would have taken better care of myself, um, and been a little smarter about my lifestyle, um, I could have done a lot better, uh, with a lot less effort because I would have been a lot more efficient. So, you know, that's a, that's something looking back that I could have, um, I could have done differently and then position, um, learning, you know, I used a very extended position to squat, uh, especially, you know, when you're multiply gear, um, you don't have to squat quite as deep in the federations that I was competing in. 
And so you could do that really hard arch because when you, you arch really, really hard, you go into a, like a really big interior tilt. And the, the bigger interior tilt you have, the less hip access you have to, to get deep. And one of the consequences of that is you're jamming your back together really hard. So you're jamming your back together really hard on the, on the bench. You're jamming your back together really hard on the squat. And it just kind of takes its toll on you. So I think the raw uh, lifting, you can't do that quite as much because you aren't going to be able to get to depth. And it would have forced me to do more front squats and things like that that I would have needed to, to get me in a more like neutral stacked position, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of the, the gist of that. Um, I think the West Side program uh, is fantastic. Um, you know, they, they vary things. It's just for me anyways, that the max effort chasing that max effort. I mean, I did a thousand pound safety squat bar. Good morning from chains, 800 pound safety bar squat for a triple, um, just all sorts of crazy stuff, but it never really carried over the platform for me. Now for some guys it does, but for me it didn't. And, uh, and, and the, you end up relying on the equipment, uh, way too much. And, uh, looking back now, um, I just wish I would have, I wish I would have competed raw. Cause I think that would have been a lot more fun for me. My training would have been much more efficient. I wouldn't have had to, um, um, have these like hour and a half long lifting sessions, uh, you know, where you've got guys trying to pull you into your suit and you know, you're warming up, you're warming up and then you you put your suit on and then you, you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and it just takes forever uh, and then when you're chasing that max effort number, so every week is you're pushing, you're is going as heavy as you can. It takes forever to get up to to warm up and to get up to that weight. And then by the time you're done, like you don't have a lot left for accessory work. Um, in the beginning of my powerlifting career, I was really in good shape. Uh, you know, I did a lot of sled dragging. I'd just come out of football. I was still fairly athletic. And I kind of let, let that kind of slide by. And obviously when you're getting ready to peak for a meet, you want to let that stuff kind of back off a little bit, but I'd kind of fallen into that trap of I'm going to go up in weight class or I'm going to get tighter equipment to try and get, um, you know, heavier, heavier totals uh, as opposed to just honing my technique. Uh, that was my biggest, uh, you know, the two of the biggest increases I had in my bench and my deadlift were, were just times that I worked, you know, Jim helped me, Windler helped me with my bench and, we put like 75 pounds on my bench press in one session just by getting my technique dialed in. And like I said, Chuck Vogapool pulled me aside one day and he was like, look, dude, he's like, you're, you're lifting the bar and you, you're not using any leverage. You're not, you know, creating tension and, and bending the bar and, and, and using your body as a teeter totter. And, and he showed me a few things and boom, right there. I mean, my deadlifts just went through the ceiling just by improving my efficiency. So instead of trying to be a rhinoceros, and just get as strong as I could on all these weird lifts, um, which I think has its place, but um, I should have focused on being a lot more efficient uh, and being more technical. And then, you know, doing stuff on my off days, you know, belt squats and things like that to build up strength without putting so much pressure on my spine. Um, but, you know, the, the, the nice thing about Westside is the amount of emphasis put on accessory work and special exercises and that stuff's great you know doing glute ham raises and and uh, you know louis was big on standing ab work which is awesome 
but for me, there wasn't enough time. And a lot of these guys that were competing at Westside at the time had been lifting for years and years and years, and they already had their technique down. Um, and so they didn't really need to do much technical work. They just, you know, needed to change things up for them. Um, but then you get into the whole thing of physical burnout and fatigue. I probably should have done maybe one or two meets a year uh, and then taken, taken some time off heavy training. And for me, the, the, the heavy training was almost like an addiction. It was like a validation. It was a high. So, you know, I would push that high and I'd get too fired up. That, that's a big mistake I made too, is getting too fired up, too emotional, uh, you know, ranting and raving and breathing and, 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 you know, huffing and puffing and, and loud music and, 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 uh, really getting amped up. And the problem is if you're doing that in your training, you go to the meet and you don't have anything, you know, you just kind of, um, you can't lift without the circus show. And it, it just kind of, um, it makes it very difficult when you're always, you know, sniffing ammonia in training and you just save that stuff for, for when you're on the platform. If, if it works for you, some people get all worked up and then they, they, they go to hell. Uh, and then other people, you know, are calm. You watch them lift and they're super calm. So you have to figure out what works for you. But I was getting fired up and that fed into the max effort work, you know, I huff and puff and storm around the gym and then get in and do my lift. And it, it was, it was, it was fun. And I was setting records all the time, but it didn't carry over the platform for me. So even though I put up some really good numbers, uh, it could have been a lot better. I mean, I could have lifted, uh, much higher numbers, much more efficiently in my career uh, if I would have taken sleep seriously and self-care and uh, would have worked more efficiently in my business. Uh, you know, when you trade, you know, I work with a lot of hairdressers and, 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 and people where you're trading hours for dollars. You know, when you work in that kind of business, you want to set something up, whether it's real estate or dividend stocks or you're doing products. You want to do things where you're creating revenue without you without you having to physically work. And if you're in a business where you're getting you're trading hours for dollars, you want to create something that's going to pay you uh, instead of buying, you know, cars and going on fancy trips and eating out all the time. You know, I could have much better um, set some of that money aside to create some assets that paid me instead of me, um, you know, having to work so many hours and and my lifestyle was a little out of control, uh, so to speak. So there are a lot of things, not only just in the lifting that I would have done differently, but also in the uh, lifestyle and self-care part. And But, you know, you live and you learn. You know, that's one of the reasons now I'm so passionate about telling people about how important the what you do outside the gym is because I crushed myself, you know, um, doing that. So... The cool thing about mistakes is that you can use those mistakes or I'd say, you know, maybe not mistakes, but less optimal things. Um, you can use those to help yourself and learn and not only that, help other people not fall into those, those same pitfalls. So, you know, looking back, there's a few things I wish I'd have done differently, but in the end, I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for the stuff that happened in the past. And I'm, I'm quite happy with where I am now, I, I have some work to do as far as becoming a better business owner as opposed to just an operator. Uh, there's a huge transition from becoming a uh, operator owner to an owner operator. And uh, I'm going through that right now and it's, it's not easy. Anybody that owns a business um, 
understands that it's super difficult to make that transition from the operator owner to the owner operator, which is what I'm kind of battling right now. So Jeremy, I think Jeremy was his name that sent it in. I hope that answers your question. Um, if you guys have any other questions for me, uh, please feel free to, uh, to email me at Jim Laird at Jim That's G Y M. And of course I have my blog that I post on every once in a while, <laughs> Jim Another thing I struggle at. Um, so that's that. And if you guys, uh, have any questions, just reach out and email me. I, I enjoy getting on here and doing this. It's, uh, it's good for me. Um, because I, I, writing is not one of my, one of my strengths either. So this is much better for me to get on here and chat. And, uh, hopefully we'll be able to schedule Rocky here in the next couple next week or so and get that done with the, some of the stuff I did with my genetic testing stuff and uh, brain, the brain core stuff I've been doing for, for helping me, you know, get in a better place as far as some of my bad habits and some of my uh, idiosyncrasies, so to speak. So hope you guys have a great day. And once again, continue to uh, support Kiefer and his endeavors so I can continue to do this. Have a great day. listening to the Jim Laird show with your host Jim Laird. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. Don't miss the next episode of the Jim Laird show when he'll probably say something inappropriate but unexpectedly insightful.